Hey, Nick. What's up, Adam? Where did you get that shirt you're wearing? The one that I like so much with the Star Wars things on it? Oh, this one. This one I get a lot of compliments on. I got this one from Roosevelt's. R-S-V-L-T-S. You know that company. I see them on Instagram all the time. They make great stuff. Shorts, shirts, all the business. Yeah, they have a bunch of great Star Wars designs, obviously, and other franchises like Marvel, WWE, Disney, and many, many more, so many more. They're more known for their button-down shirts, but they also do t-shirts and shorts, and not just for the men, but for the women and the children, too. Dark. (laughs) (laughs) I love the way they fit. The fabric is super comfortable. Can't stop wearing them. Nice. Well, I'm going to rsvlts.com to make a purchase because I actually don't own anything yet and I've been meaning to buy something. I'm going to use the promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off my first purchase. And you can do the same again at rsvlts.com. I'm talking to you, listener. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER and get 20% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. My name is Adam Russell. My name is different than Adam's. My name is Nick. How are you? Great. <laughs> Good to see you. And I am different from both of you guys. Weird. Hi, everyone. It's Mike. Hey. <laughs> different strokes. Some people think we might all have the same name. We got different, three different names. Wow. Some people call me a space cowboy. <laughs> That's a fourth ellipsis. Different thing. Dudes, the rebellion is alive. <sighs> I'm jacked. Oh, I'm like sad though. I'm ready. I was I was equally geeked, fired up, ready to run through a brick wall for Marva this yeah, morning right. at five in the morning. And then also simultaneously got upset because I was like, now we don't get Star Wars every week. It's okay to cry while you're fighting. It's okay people, to cry, man. <laughs> some people cry when they fight. They're, they're so emotional. I have tears in my eyes smashing someone with a brick of <laughs> my dead mother. Yeah. That's pretty metal. Dude, this is the first time with the Star Wars series where it's ended, and I haven't been sad about not having an episode next week. I think sure. because it's so dense that I'm actually excited to go back and watch the whole thing and dissect it and go deeper, especially mm-hmm. the way we've been doing it day of. I watched it so early. I take notes immediately. We start talking about it immediately after that. And I feel like I don't give myself enough room to just like explore mm-hmm, for sure on the frame, you know, cause I'm like, so notes focused. Yeah. So I'm pumped. It's a sacrifice we make to actually put the podcast out at a decent rate. Yeah. So we're like Luthan. We're sacrificing a lot. Yeah. We're sacrificing actual, uh, everything. Yeah. <laughs> everything. All right, let's get right into it. What have you done with those plans? Andor, episode 12, Rick's Road, debuted today, November 23rd, the day before Thanksgiving 2022 on Disney+. Plus. Disney Plus description, Cassian returns home to Ferex, a tinderbox that is experiencing a spark of rebellion. There we go with that spark. Written by Tony Gilroy, directed again by Benjamin Caron. This is the same writer-director pair as episode 11. Runtime, 56 minutes. Longest episode, right? I believe so, yes. Second place would be one of the first three, probably. Dude, like we said at the top, intense, rebellion. It's live. It's happening. It's so emotional. Like, Mm. God, this is the first show, the first, like, new Star Wars characters that have fully brought me to tears and got me so invested that I felt like a personal connection at the end. I I felt all that went, you know, rode the entire emotional roller coaster without the force. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Granted, there were things that hearkened to the the time, but nothing front and center. No actual Mm -hmm. force use of any kind. Yeah, it didn't make you emotional based off of like your prior feelings of characters or situations or anything. It made you care about brand new characters, brand new situations. And I feel like this feels like 
I know where this lives in the timeline and what it all is leading up to, but it feels so insular and like detached at the same time. Right. But that being said, they made you care about Brasso and B2 and Bix and like brand new characters like had me crying. Like Marva, like, oh my goodness, had me like straight up emotional. Yeah, not only people who have names that start with B, but other letters too. <laughs> M, Marva. Benny, <laughs> Barry, Brian, Brenda, Barb. I think we should do like a three-hour episode about why all the characters' names start with B. Yeah. What do you think? Well, let's do it. We'll do it next week. <laughs> and all the Nicks. Every, everyone named Nick. <laughs> Dude, talking about character investment... What the f***, Tony Gilroy? Like, when Dedra, we're going to step on later conversations, but when Dedra went down and the mob started kicking the shit out of her, I was like, no, 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 no. I, I, like, I felt bad for her. I didn't want her to get her ass kicked. Yeah, weird. She's an evil piece of shit. But I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> and when she got saved, dude, it was emotional. Shouldn't, I shouldn't feel that way. I don't, like, I, when Cyril rescued her, it was so awkward. Because yeah. they, they definitely, I was like, are they about to do like the whole they're going to kiss thing? And I was like, that feels awkward and forced and all this stuff. But that, that's all like trauma from watching forced kisses in <laughs> other films. Yeah. No, I'm not talking every about American Benny, right? cinema ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> not talking about Raylo. I'm talking about just the, every other forced kiss ever. But what it was was weird nervous virgin energy those two are virgins for sure <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well, what, what do we do what do i yeah, what yeah. do i do here what do i do i put my lips on your lips yeah <laughs> i get a boater <laughs> and dude again we'll get to it but the music in this episode mm. it was like ryan will talk about it next week if he's here but they were doing they were doing some really interesting stuff with the, like the the choice of the instruments, the chord progressions, the tension. There's something about that funeral music where it does it does the you know the three chord progression and then it goes back to the root, but it hangs. Mm. It doesn't change notes until after the next downbeat. So it, it you have this really awkward suspense, like oh god, change change the note, change the note. You know, it doesn't yeah. hang on a note that you would expect to. And that tension, especially with everything being a little out of tune and all that, mm -hmm. was so perfect and brilliant. I just got goosebumps. Yeah. The interesting part about the the marching band, if you call them the uh, the Orange Parade, <laughs> yeah. was when they talked about what was different about filming on a practical set and not shooting in the volume and all of that. What they've actually built, you know, the the city of Ferrix. There was like this thing that kept coming out that that the actors were saying, you know, they were able to get emotional because they could hear the music. Oh well. And that confused a bunch of people because they're like, if you know anything about recording audio on set it's like generally has to be as quiet as it can be and so they were like what were they doing like pumping a soundtrack through like a sound system like what what was that and now it makes sense because i think that band was actually playing they yeah. recorded it at some point and then had them come through so it's like the band was probably actually playing which for the actors like how amazing would that have been oh my to God. actually have an, a soundtrack of what you're about to go do it's incredible i was watching as they were marching as the drummers were playing. Everything was on beat. And I was watching the, the horn players, watching their fingers move with the notes. So Checks out, yeah. All of those instruments obviously are augmented uh, prop-wise to look in-universe, but they're all flutes and trumpets and everything else, you know? Yeah. And did you notice, too, I guess the prelude to that marching band scene was the actual intro music was yeah. a lot of yes. horns in that one. Yep, I did notice that. Yeah, and, the, and cool. the, the intro music of the, of the full episode had those detuned mm -hmm. horns that they used in, in that scene at the top. Very, very cool. Man, I, I said this before we started recording, but the, the emotional weight of this episode, and, and this ties in, I, I think, to why I got so invested and so emotional despite its lack of direct connection to something nostalgic or the force, is because what resonated with me equally alongside the character investment was the real world parallels and being from a state like Missouri where folks who think like me seem to always be on the losing end of things, it really hit home. And the, the two big monologues mostly, and then the, the funeral procession and all that stuff, man, I was like, I was sad. I was angry. I was motivated. I was a lot of things. And I, I teared up in multiple different 
scenes for multiple reasons. Mm -hmm. And um, hats off to Tony Gilroy. Again, goddamn. Yeah, the stakes. The stakes are brand new. You know, again, as far as this very insular story, it's making you feel like, 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 I guess the ultimate stake is death. So it feels like, especially with like the Narkina arc where it's basically Kino and Cassian were saying, I'd rather die do like fighting against them than die doing what they want. Like death is the ultimate stake. And this show is making you feel that it's either be a cog in the system or build the cog like Cassian was doing yeah. <laughs> uh, that ultimately kills you. But like, I don't know. It's just, it's just so well done that it's bringing you on like a roller coaster or a journey of emotions. And there, it's just, it truly is actually a masterpiece. I think this whole first season. All right, let's get into some specifics, kind of touch base with everybody. And then we're going to, I'm sure we'll have a, a lengthy discussion about the funeral procession. Cause that was obviously the key moment or series of moments. So the Ferrix locals opening with Wilman Pack. If you weren't paying close attention, you might not remember who this was. I was a little unsure. Wilman Pack, the, the young kid building the bomb, he's the son of Salman Pack, who's the dude that the ISB tortured and killed yep. before they tortured Bix. He's building a bomb. Nurchi, the dude with um, the kind of short, uh, nubby kind of proto dreads, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. He was Cassian's friend that he owed money to in episode one. And then Zan, Cassian's buddy from uh, the transport business, who he called last episode, you know, the guy told him about his mom. They're drinking in a cantina and they're talking about Cassian coming back. And it was suspicious, but we don't find out until later. It's because Nurchi was working with the undercover ISB agent. He's getting paid to help find Cassian. Doesn't turn out well for that guy. Mon Mothma, she throws Perrin, her husband, under the bus, saving herself. Awesome scene. They're in their limo. And she asks the driver for privacy, knowing he's going to listen anyway, because he's a plant, right? He's a, an ISB plant. And she accuses Perrin of gambling again, right? Apparently, he's had a gambling problem in the past. Mm-hmm. And right away, did you guys, you guys knew it right away, like the first line, right? Like mm-hmm. she's trying to, she's setting him up. Yeah, she's framing him. Yeah, basically. Yeah. What a, it's so brilliant. Because you know what? what? What's so brilliant about this is we've had such distrust and hatred for Perrin the entire time. I bet you she's framing him for something he's actually doing. He's probably yeah. gambling. Yeah. But she knows, and there's this this real kind of subtle, non-ham-fisted thing where the scene opens up with her in the limo and she has her shawl or cape cowl, whatever it is, closed mm-hmm. as if, like, it's something you wouldn't have noticed, but she opens it up and, like, breathes out. And, like, that's, like, another subtle hint that she's like, all right, I'm, I'm free. You know, like, yeah. here we go. I'm, I'm unbuttoning this. And when it's unbuttoned, I'm a rebel, you know, like that type of thing. And she was framing him for something she probably knows he's doing. And ultimately, like, turning her back on both members of her family. Because towards the end of the episode, she lets Lita meet Davo's son. So she's turned her back on her daughter and her husband in the name of the rebellion at this point. And, and that's just huge. You know, like it, it, they, they really were kind of two fleeting scenes, but they were very heavy in the implications. And uh, man, that whole thing where she's framing him for something he's probably doing, which covers her banking transactions. Uh, it's just brilliant. And she, she's known since the first time we saw her that Chloris was a spy. So her driver was a spy, and when they asked for privacy, she knew all of that. Like, just brilliant Mon Mothma. Like, it all worked, thankfully. And, uh, man, I love it. And it falls into place so perfectly. He's like, where would I get the money? And she goes, that's the question that scares me the most. And then they quote that in the ISB meeting Mm -hmm. when they recap it, because it turns out that the driver is reporting to Supervisor Blevin, Mm -hmm. which is brilliant, because he's down his own lane. Dedra's down her lane. They were in opposition at the beginning. It's just, it's really mm-hmm. good stuff, bringing it all together. Oh, and the quote too, I think it's the last line of that scene is Perrin says, someone is lying to you. And Mon says, that we can agree on. Basically yeah. being like, yo, you're lying. I know you're lying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're the one. <laughs> Here's the interesting part about what Blevin says to the driver once they have this conversation. He says, Mon Mothma is, is of great interest here. Having her husband dig a hole for himself could be helpful in many ways. Mm-hmm. So she's of great interest, I guess, because 
they know that she's against imperial overreach and she's, I mean, has she moved beyond just a thorn in their side or is it kind of like we need to find some dirt on this thorn in our side because there's nothing, they don't know of anything officially criminal that she's done, right? I guess what that, that's what that would mean more specifically, right? They also talk about in the ISB meeting with, uh, in, you know, kind of like that, the central meeting room, Imperial forces took down Anto Krieger's rebel attack. No prisoners. Everybody's dead. Detra's pissed off. She says, quote, we get nothing from a dead body. Good point. But Partigas says it's more important than that because, quote, today was about wiping the taste of Aldani from the emperor's mouth. So they need a win, basically. Yeah, it's just politics, right? Yeah. And it's, and it's, it's kind of the interesting part of where uh, you see where information, you can eventually get so much information before you act upon stuff, right? Like, and it's kind mm-hmm. of like always the argument of, of our modern day reflection of our life where we could argue that we have enough information to be processed and government agencies having access to all this stuff, but they don't have the manpower to do anything about it. Right. And you find out that, say, you know, people who commit violent acts in this country often have been flagged before and nothing happens. And so it's kind of like, you know, for to almost throw some meat to the wolves uh, on the empire's more, I would say, physical side of (laughs) how they plan on taking over the galaxy. It's it's part of gas exactly playing politics and saying, yeah, let them let the stormtroopers go out and do the shooty thing. They'll feel good about themselves. <laughs> and it's just like that parallel of real life, whether it's politics or, uh, you know, finance or anything, it's always about keeping your job or keeping your profits or whatever. It's never about what's right, you know? And like right. there, part of gas is like, we just needed to get the evil Sith Lord off our back. We needed to wipe that taste out of his mouth. It's, it has nothing to do with us even thinking about the future, right now things are right because we squashed one rebel cell. Right. And that's it. Dedra shows up on Ferrix in an Imperial shuttle, coming down the ramp, flanked by death troopers. All this means business. Mm-hmm. At first I was like, ooh, who is it? And then when I saw it was her, I wasn't disappointed. Like, oh, we didn't get a character drop. I was like, oh, she's that level now. Right. In A. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I was actually really pumped because she has potential, unless they kill her off at the end of season two, she has potential to be like right up there with like in Tarkin's office. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if the, the story with her is because there was like kind of some, I mean, they weren't under their breath lines about her, but I feel like it was Blevin and whoever else he was talking to where they're like, guess who's upset about this? You know, like right, kind right, of yeah. like being like sarcastically like, the one woman is, uh, guess who's kind of upset about the fact that we killed everyone. Right. It's a little bit of that, even though she was the antagonist in this, you would then bring her back into the ISB room and she's kind of the sympathetic figure because everyone there is kind of against her for making their job harder or making them look bad. So that was interesting. Depends where she is, whether you want to root for her or root against her. Right. And of course, my uh, my detail thing going off about the Lambda class shuttle, of course, which if you remember that one of the coolest ships in Star Wars is the same style of of ship that uh, our heroes maybe bypass the shield generator to get onto the forest moon of Endor. So Shuttle Tidarium is a Lambda class shuttle. It's the one with the triangle that's different from Krennic's. So she's not totally baller yet until she gets yeah. her own ship. So let's just put that in there. Yeah, it's an older code, but it checks out. There was some real, just overall, this felt like a movie. And I think Uh, every episode has felt like higher production value, obviously. We've talked about ad nauseum, but this one actually went up a couple more notches. This felt super, like, probably would look great in a theater. Yeah. Uh, Last thing on the ISB, Nurchi talking to that undercover ISB agent we mentioned. He spills the beans. They do a thing. Where he's like, I have information, blah, blah, blah. Act like you're arresting me. They take him in. He kind of, he spills it. He wants double. It's, he sucks. Cyril, he makes it to Ferrix, meeting up with his buddy, Linus Mosk. And like we talked about earlier, saves Dedra. And uh, yeah, the most awkward moment yet. <laughs> Even more yeah. awkward than the, the one at the ISB headquarters that we made a meme out of. Mm-hmm. As if that was possible. Yeah. But like, think about the foreshadowing of him watching Deidre from afar knowing where mm-hmm. she is in the one that we referenced earlier and then lost in the shuffle is that they're both in the same place 
And when everything goes to hell on Ferrix, he's also still watching her. So he has that like kind of just creepy stalker vibe going. So when everything is going nuts on Ferrix, he still is watching her and and winds up saving her because he's a creep. Uh, Cinta and Vel. Vel returns to Ferrix, finds Cinta in uh, the apartment where they were staking out the situation. Cinta is like so hyper-focused on the rebellion that she has no room for feelings, doesn't even say hi to Vel, basically like, oh, you made it cool. Vel is visibly bummed. They start to have a moment, but we don't actually get it. She's just basically like, hey, come talk to me. And that's where it cuts. Later, Cinta, amidst the uprising, runs into the ISP agent, stabs him, kills that dude, cold and calculated, just like what's his name said. She's badass. That's all we get from them, though, aside from uh, a brief conversation between Vel and Luthen, which we'll mention later. Let's talk about Cassian. So he returns to Ferrix, as we expected, as we know. There's a great flashback right when he shows up to Clem, Father Clem, Papa Clem, mm. teaching him sort of like life lessons because they're cleaning these, uh, these parts and whatever. And there's a great quote in there that applies to what they're doing specifically, but is also, you know, has some layers to it. He says, people don't look down to where they should. They don't look down. They don't look past the rust. Not us, though, eh? Eyes open, possibilities everywhere. Layers, yeah? He's talking about, like, you know, some some scavenged parts, but he's also talking about the kind of qualities in a person that would lead Cassian to become the Cassian of the Rebellion. I feel like there's a slight, probably not on purpose, uh, parallel there where Qui-Gon's quote of your focus determines your re- reality. I feel like everyone, you know, even in real life has their own reality in front of them, their own bubble, their own perception of what's going on. Uh, and that's slowly unraveling because of the internet. Thank you. Um, but uh, I feel like that that Clem's line there kind of reminded me of that. It's like, really, if you look down and look at this part from a ship or whatever they're cleaning there, it's kind of what, not what you make it to be, but it's so much more than a rusty part. You know, it's something that if you clean is worth money, it still functions, all this stuff. So I, I really do like that idea of like, kind of things aren't what they seem is what uh, the, the point I took from all that, which was pretty mm-hmm. cool. Clem is a Jedi is my point. <laughs> Cassian goes to the salvage yard looking for Bix. She's not there, of course. He finds Pelga there from the shipyard. Later, he's reading and listening to Nemec's manifesto. Mike, make that prop. Find an old iPhone. Make that prop. (laughs) Yes. It is sweet. And it is so good. The monologue, if you want to call it that, the voiceover from Nemec is some of the best dialogue in this entire series and all of Star Wars. Let's, I'm I'm just going to play the whole clip here or I'll start it and then we'll, we'll bring it in. He says, there will be times when the struggle seems impossible. I know this already. Alone, unsure, dwarfed by the scale of the enemy. Remember this. Freedom is a pure idea. It occurs spontaneously and without instruction. Random acts of insurrection are occurring constantly throughout the galaxy. There are whole armies, battalions, that have no idea that they've already enlisted in the cause. Remember that the frontier of the rebellion is everywhere. And even the smallest act of insurrection pushes our lines forward. And then remember this. The Imperial need for control is so desperate because it is so unnatural. Tyranny requires constant effort. It breaks. It leaks. Authority is brittle. Oppression is the mask of fear. Remember that. And know this. The day will come when all these skirmishes and battles moments of defiance will have flooded the banks of the Empire's authority, and then there will be one too many. One single thing will break the siege. Remember this. Try. I love the cadence and the style, the kind of poetic style, how he keeps returning to the line, remember this, Mm -hmm. and now remember this, and so on. He's, He's punctuating with that phrase mm-hmm. and it's just beautiful shit. And so, so incredibly insightful and motivating and inspirational mm-hmm. that dude, he's in my like top two or three characters of this whole show. Yeah. Super important. And that's, what's 
ultimately genius about this is going back to these like brand new characters who are like, oh, well, there's no Luke Skywalker without Brasso. There's no Luke Skywalker and Han Solo and Leia without Nemec. You know, like there's no yeah. Cassian without Nemec. But again, the brilliance of it all is that it doesn't take away from anything that comes after this. It doesn't take away from what Luke and Leia did or Han did or any, and even Cassian, you know? That's what's brilliant in the way they're telling this story is that it's adding a real great layer to everything. I loved the sound design of Nemec's speech because it goes from Cassian listening to it to us listening to it. Right. It goes from this like kind of almost like uh, maybe I'll say like mono or something like as if it's coming from that calm from the speaker, uh, yeah. the actual manifesto speaker to where Cassian is uh, listening to it. And then I believe he kind of just tosses it down and it slowly fades into like a more surround sound, like where the like Nemec is talking to us at that point, which becomes voiceover. Yeah. Unreal. So good. Cassian then reunites with Brasso. He's regretful about leaving Marva. But Brasso kind of tries to reassure him and he delivers a message from Marva. Tell him none of this is his fault. It was already burning. He's just the first spark of the fire. Tell him he knows everything he needs to know and feels everything he needs to feel. And when the day comes that those two pull together, he will be an unstoppable force for good. Tell him I love him more than anything he could ever do wrong. Another super motivational, inspirational quote. Just, again, adding to Cassian's like emotional arsenal as he moves forward to be a leader in the rebellion. And then he finds and rescues Bix later amidst um, the chaos. Luthen, moving on to Luthen, has returned to Ferex as well because everyone, like we kind of mentioned earlier, Everyone's converging on this planet of Ferrix, all for similar reasons, all around Cassian, obviously. But Luthen is there officially, we know, to kill Cassian. It was mentioned, and then the, like, the way they were back and forth, I don't know, I didn't seem certain that he was going to do that. Did you guys? Uh, Prior to this episode? I don't know. Or at least I, I guess I hoped that he had kind of given up on that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think I want to say that's why Cinta was still there, you know, still watching, yeah. so... I think this is Luthen's character in establishing that, you know, when you when you think of where we had gotten to in Rogue One, the difference of all these things, right, which is like there's a lot of parallels to like the Jedi Order, right? Because mm-hmm. you have um some people that are very high on the concept of being like the Jedi are not enforcers. We are the ones that are to observe and protect, versus people like Mace Windu that were definitely more aggressive in terms of saying like, no, 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 we'll go after evil and remove it. You have this case where you have Mon saying, we don't work with Saw because he's too extreme. But if you remember, they sent Cassian to kill Saw. And so like they kind of recognize at this point that like the partisans are not going to join the rebellion due to Saw's own paranoia and his understanding of like basically organized countercrime. And so Luthen is just doing what Luthen does, which is ties up his loose ends and so that he's not able to be tracked. And I think I think it actually it plays. I mean, I think it's a very like he's almost what Saw would be if Saw didn't react emotionally. Right. And I think that's really interesting that you have these different factions of rebellion i'm using that in quotes because it's not the rebellion but it's it's basically like luthan is kind of this this play in between the money and the partisans and he has to make sure that he's not caught holding the purse in between that so i, I right th- right that tr- that tracks for luthan in my opinion like i said before he meets briefly with vel but mostly he ends up watching this whole thing from afar as soon as mm. the shit hits the fan he backs out and one of the last shots of him before the, the final scene is him watching kind of up the stairs between some buildings, seeing all the, the smoke and chaos in the distance and kind of looking forlornly. I don't know if it's because... Yeah, I, I wanted to bring up, like, do you think that he's sort of frozen in this moment? Because I feel like he's yeah. usually detached from the battle, you know, like he is yeah. the, the king piece, you know, on a chess set, mm-hmm. you know, like he's... Hiding in the lower levels of Coruscant when he has to do things. He's hiding in plain sight in his antiquities. His ship is like way outside of town. Right. And now all of a sudden he's like on the ground seeing kind of 
the consequences. And I couldn't tell if he was supposed to look frozen, but he definitely was not involved. I, t- I take it as someone who's watching the difference between something that's a calculated effort versus like, honestly, like Luthen didn't really plan for this. Yeah, right. And I think he's kind of in his head seeing, turns out there's more people out there that this is just a natural uprising. This is just people who have had enough. And I think he's like observing how messy it got to, not so much in saying like, I mean, yeah, I guess he, the reflection part of it for how willing he was to be like Anto Krieger and his guys, I don't care. Let him die. And then him watching the Empire truly just like start to just blast these people, like he was like, mm, mm-hmm. so I get it. All right, let's talk about one of the most badass sequences in all of Star Wars television. Is badass the word? Badass is part of it, but also <laughs> just like, it's just, it's so good. Marva's funeral and the rebel uprising. The Daughters of Ferrix, a social club? <laughs> That's diminishing. Anyway, we talked about the funeral procession music, Unreal. Brasso leads this marching band in his formal uniform, I guess. I wonder what that uniform is. Is he like, is there some other like union or something of all of these workers that's associated with yeah. the Daughters of Ferrix, maybe? It seems like they have that same symbol kind of on the sash, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So he's leading this marching band holding Marva's brick and they're chanting stone and sky. So dope. So cool. B2 projects a farewell hollow message from Marva. She's in her daughters of Ferrix formal wear as well. Like on her deathbed, I guess this is tradition. You send a message out. You're like your own obituary in a way. Mm -hmm. Love it. But hers is more than an obituary. It is a call to action for the rebellion. The Empire, I don't know if they were just like browsing Instagram (laughs) for the first three quarters of this speech. Yeah, they let it go a little too long. (laughs) A little too long. It's amazing. She starts by kind of telling her story of growing up on Ferrix and how she watched other people do what she's doing and, um, you know, honoring the dead and all this kind of stuff. And then you can see her kind of start to swell into this emotional place where she kind of just lets it all out and it becomes this, like I said, full-on call to action. And now I'm dead. And I yearn to lift you. Not because I want to shine or even be remembered. It's because I want you to go on. I want Ferrix to continue. In my waning hours, that's what comforts me most. But I fear for you. We've been sleeping. We've had each other and Ferrix, our work, our days. We had each other and they left us alone. We kept the trade lanes open and they left us alone. We took their money and ignored them. We kept their engines churning and the moment they pulled away, we forgot them. Because we had each other. We had Ferrix. But we were sleeping. I've been sleeping. I've been turning away from a truth I wanted not to face. There is a wound that won't heal at the center of the galaxy. There is a darkness reaching like rust into everything everything around us. We let it grow, and now it's here. It's here, and it's not visiting anymore. It wants to stay. The Empire is a disease that thrives in darkness. It is never more alive than when we sleep. It's easy for the dead to tell you to fight. And maybe it's true, maybe fighting's useless. Perhaps it's too late. But I'll tell you this. If I could do it again, I'd wake up early and be fighting these bastards. 
from the start. Fight the Empire! Man, is it good. It it <sighs> it made me actually think about my own death, and I was like, should I tell people right now that I want to be a brick and I want to write my own obituary? Yeah. <laughs> I guess I just did on this podcast. What an amazing idea. My my wife and I talk about all the time how normal burials are such a waste and weird environmentally. And we talk about doing things like getting cremated and getting buried into the base of a tree or something like that. This is as cool as that. Yeah. Easily. I do like also earlier in the, you know, we, we mentioned the, this, the flashback scene with Clem where Cassian walks up to Clem's brick and that's when, that's what sparks the, the flashback. It's very, very cool. Patrick Merton says you'd become a Nick brick. Just, yeah. you know, Nick the brick. <laughs> that's my that's my wrestling my wwe name actually brick wall nick <laughs> so as the shit is hitting the fan once the imperial officers stop browsing instagram and realize that she's saying a bunch of shit that's getting the locals hyped up the one main dude comes over and tries to shut it down by throwing his cloak over b2's projector yeah tigo i want to say also very impressed with his he's he's been someone i wanted more from this entire series but yeah he, we got him and i'm like this is a good imperial like good casting, good acting, really, really cool. His cloak doesn't fully cover, so the end of her message still plays through. He's pissed about it, so he kicks over B2, which was... Yeah. It's like seeing somebody kick a dog in a movie. I wanted to cut this dude's head off and kick it <laughs> off a cliff. Brasso felt <laughs> the same way. Love it. he kicks this dude like... Chest kick, love it. Full-blown chest <laughs> kick. And then chaos ensues, citizens start uprising... Brasso bashes another Imperial over the head with Marva's brick. So good. Wilman Pack, the, the kid who was making the bomb at the beginning, right at a key moment, which is so brilliantly edited and scored, when the anvil pounding uh, bell tower dude. The time grappler. That's his name? Yeah. Sick. He starts ringing that thing, and it calls back to Marva's line from episode f- four or five or whatever it was when she said, that's the sound of a reckoning. This thing's just dong, dong through the whole thing. It it, remind, it was very like uh, elements of like the way like P.T. Anderson would have mm-hmm. a scene scored. Yeah. It's just, it's ominous and it's going. So right, at, he hits that thing and then like the next shot is the kid flipping on the switch on the bomb and then he tosses it. It blows up that tank. All hell breaks loose. Nurchi is killed in the blast because he's standing up in one of the windows watching over with, mm-hmm. with the Imperials. He gets hit with the, the exploding glass. Zan gets killed as well. The bell tower, the time grappler dude kicks a stormtrooper off the damn thing. Another chest kick. Yeah. Brasso and time grappler need to be a tag team. They're finishing moves, <laughs> yes. chest kicks. <laughs> Dedra goes down in the fight like we talked about. Cyril jumps in and saves her. And dude, it was like, again, just props to Tony Gilroy for making me really keep rooting for her despite being a, such a total piece of shit i was like man don't don't do that to her no 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 that's so that's so mean <laughs> it's uh yeah it's just amazing I, i'd like to point out this like another real world uh parallel here so woman pack the the son so his father's dead because of the empire and you're watching what whether you pick a side or not making a bomb and detonating it in public that's terrorist activity, you know? So right. basically you're watching how like some some terrorists, I mean, sorry, let me take this back. All terrorists are terrible people. But you're watching the creation of a terrorist. Like something was taken mm-hmm. from somebody, you know, someone was right. taking from someone and you're watching what's the only thing that some people could think to do is, is revenge, you know? And, and like you're watching Wilman, the son of, you know, his father's dead. He built a bomb to detonate it and basically created a terrorist even though they're rebels and we're cheering for them this is how terrorists get created in a lot of real world sensibilities so yeah and if you're, if you're not comfortable with the word terrorist in the situation bare minimum he's an extremist yeah he's been radicalized by this experience so yeah that's how it works it doesn't matter who's right in the equation like you're saying these experiences motivate people to do things so shades of gray mm-hmm. cassian gets bix to the the shipyard where Brasso and B2 are getting the hell out mm-hmm. and the daughters of Ferrix. He gets Bix on the ship and Bix is completely out of it still. And tell me how you interpreted this. Was she 
speaking to the others and then looking at him or was she just so out of it when she says, he'll find us, Cassian will find us? How did you take that? Did she know he was there? It's It could be, she, she her dialogue, both when Cassian saves her and on there, there was a lot of, I feel like there was a couple times where I was like, is she all there right now? Like mentally? Right. Because there was a point where she didn't want to leave the cell because she was, she said something like, they'll get mad, you know? So I'm like, okay, she's not all mentally right, there. Right. There's some, it's not Stockholm syndrome, I don't think, but there's, there's something going on there. I interpreted that scene as either she's looking at Cassian and she knows where she is finally. And she's like, Cassian will always find us. Or it could be the complete opposite. And she's talking to B2 and not acknowledging that Cassian is standing right there because she's so mentally fried where right. she's talking to B2 and be like, He'll, he always finds us. We're good. It's probably the yeah. other way where she's probably actually referencing the fact that he found her earlier in the episode and like, right. Cassian will always find us, you know, that sort of thing. There's also a great exchange between Cassian and B2 where Cassian says, take care of Bix until I get there. I'm counting on you. And B2 says, you always say that. Mm -hmm. And Cassian says, and you always come through. Yeah, I, I think, you know, B2 in this episode just gave me such, it was all low key emotional stuff, but there was this sense of like bravery and like valor in what B2 is doing because right. you know that he's hurting so much, which is wild because he's a droid with feelings. And sidebar, we all laughed when he's, we knew that his name was B2 Emo going into this. And there was like no levity to B2 Emo at all in this entire series. So that's right. kind of like the strangest name now that I think about it. But because of us, we think that, you know, Emo has a, that has a sense of levity to it. And it's, he's just literally too emotional. But his sense of bravery in the moments where he's leading people down Rick's road, you know, like right. he's like the the proud owner of Marva's last words and the last stand. And like, there could be a sense of this, you know, like, does he know what Marva's? He probably recorded that message, you know, like, so he right. knows what he's about to do. So I just love the idea of him being brave and going out there even though I know he's hurting and he has this like super important message that he's just basically leading the troops <laughs> down, down yeah. Rick's road, which is, uh, it was, it was so great. Ultimately the thing ends just, it kind of to that shot that we mentioned earlier with Luthen overlooking the whole thing. And then we cut to Luthen going to his ship to leave. He comes in, something's like a little off and we see quickly Cassian is there. Cassian confronts him, says, so you came here to kill me. Cassian gives him the opportunity to do that because, it, and this calls back to when he left, um, was he with Brasso earlier when he says something about, tells him to get out or whatever, and Cassian's like, no, it's too late. It's too late for me. So Cassian is like, my mom's dead. I got back. I saved Bix. I did all these things. Fucking kill me. Yeah. What's left? I don't care. You know, I did my job. I paid back the people that I owed money. I helped save my town in a way, just end it. But he says, you know, he's got the blaster right there. He offers it to him. He says, kill me or take me in. So the only thing that is worth living for in his mind at this point is to continue being part of the rebellion for real. Mm -hmm. Running, trying to make a life again in his old home where his mother had died. None of that is worth it to him anymore. It's like either you're going to fully recruit me, I'm going to keep fighting or just blow my head off. Yeah, I mean, he. we're watching him. This series is about watching the events that create a rebel, you know? And yeah. I love in Marva's speech where she's using like the metaphor of sleep. Like we've all been asleep and we've all been at work doing what they want, taking their money, basically being a part of the oppression. And the metaphor is being asleep. And this is watching not only like a rebel be created, but a rebel being awoken. And uh, I, I think, I, again, we, we keep talking about real world parallels, or I do. And to me, just look at it. If people knew the atrocities in the world, there'd be a lot more rebellion going on. But we're, we're all asleep. We're all distracted. We're all just, you know, working for food and water and housing, you know, like, right. like so distracted by literal earning basic human rights and needs that we don't react to the oppression because we're distracted. So that's where like this show has smartly, we heard going into this series that this was going to be a very woke 
series and it really is but it's so like high level woke that a lot of people who probably <laughs> need to be more woke won't get it right but i get it you get it <laughs> and then the post credit scene this is a first for this show mm-hmm. so it opens with a close-up tight shot of something being welded you see sparks and stuff it zooms out a little bit looks like some kind of spider droid building assembling something and then we see that they're building with the parts that Cassian and the others were building in the prison on Narkina 5. Continues to zoom out. Looks a little bit like solar panels and like a dish. And then we see it, of course, is the dish of the Death Star. Cassian helped build the thing that kills him. Dark. <laughs> what a dark, poetic statement to make at the end of this show. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, oof. Great shot, though. Like, just like kind of like cross-section, dissection, whatever you want to call of the, you know, the the laser beam, the freaking laser yeah, beam. Yeah, the exploded view. Yeah, yeah, real cool. But yeah, that's dark. Cassian was forced to build the thing that ultimately killed him. Yeah, is that better or worse than Soylent Green? <laughs> yeah. Soylent Green's people. I don't know. Yeah, it's up there. All right, let's move on to the Den of Antiquities. Hey, Adam, can you believe that it's the holiday season already? Unfortunately, I have to believe it because it's happening way too fast and I've done almost zero Christmas shopping. I'm way behind. Well, spoiler alert to everyone in my life. You're all getting clothing from Roosevelt's as holiday gifts this year. (laughs) It's a great idea because Roosevelt's not only has all the Star Wars shirts, shorts, and everything else that we wear, but they also have tons of designs from other pop culture franchises for other people that aren't the same kind of nerd that we are. (laughs) Yeah, they actually just launched a line of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation button-downs and t-shirts if you need something to wear for your holiday party. And they also have other designs from franchises like Harry Potter, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, WWE, The Office, Rick and Morty, Friends, and old-school movies like The Big Lebowski, Jaws, Goonies, and you're going to love this one, Top Gun. Well, if you feel the need for speed, as I do, you can go to rsvlts.com. That's Roosevelt's with no vowels. And use promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off your first purchase. That's rsvlts.com. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER and get 20% off your first purchase. For over a thousand generations, it is the dark Saber. Oh gosh. It's a Calicori. A Sith Wayfinder. Dark science. Cloning. Secrets only the Sith knew. Shout out to patron Jason Chiodo for the help with these Den of Antiquities. Mike threw in a couple, but in a pinch, we were, well, we were in a pinch. <laughs> Jason uh, hooked us up. And it's also like what we, what we spoke about earlier is that like we're so about the notes of the show and taking notes to be able to do the podcast. It's like we don't have a lot of time. For you, it's 1 p.m. For me, I started this at 11 a.m. I watched it twice. Like yeah. we don't have time to like fine tooth comb these episodes. Right. But thank you, Jason, for sure. And of course, Mike, for helping out with the den. Uh, First thing on the list here, the Zeta class heavy cargo shuttle. This was the shuttle that Bodhi pilots the gang to Scarif with in Rogue One. That's the the four-winged fold-up wings like you were talking about behind Mm -hmm. Dedra's shuttle in the spaceport. Uh, we do get that mention of Cantobite because they were talking about gambling with... Uh, Mon was talking about gambling with Perrin. So I guess there's one place maybe in the galaxy to go gamble. <laughs> yep. And it's that place. Cantobite is the uh, the Nevada of the galaxy. You know what I love? Oh my goodness. Okay. Rose says something like, you know, she's talking about Cantobite when they're there, when she's there with Finn and... It's something similar like a wretched hive of scum and villainy. She says like all the worst people come here or something like that, right? This place is filled with the worst people, yeah. Yeah, right? And think about it. Think about it. Perrin, the worst person. (laughs) Of course. He would be there. Of course. (laughs) Unreal. Why didn't we think of that earlier? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So good. Used to be a piece of shit. (laughs) I said was! Uh, this This is pretty cool. Marva's death brick says her name on it in a new font. It looks similar to Docking Bay 94's font, which is in Galaxy's Edge. Is it a version of Arabesh, though? Uh, it all looks similar. Hmm. I was looking, but I didn't look closely enough. I'll, I'll go back and get a screenshot. Maybe we'll post that. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this next one, but the instruments... <laughs> <laughs> the instruments, uh, you know, the marching band instruments were decorated to feel like jizz instruments from Moss Eisley. <laughs> 
Jesus Christ. Um, there are some canon things that should just be changed. Yeah. <laughs> some things should be just pushed into legends. <laughs> just call it space jazz. Yeah. Spaz. Spaz. There it's you way go. better. <laughs> Come on, George. Uh, I did notice this one uh, alien species during the riot. A Kubaz gets knocked out during the riot. And the most famous one, if you want to put it that way, the most famous Kubaz is a gas mask wearing Moss Eisley uh, patron back from a, a New Hope. It's the guy with the uh, with the long kind of anteater snout. Looks like a plague mask or something, right? Like yeah. that, that sort of thing. And then the only other one that we know, the only other prominent one would be in the pilot episode of The Mandalorian. He calls with the flute. Mm-hmm. He calls for the um, yep. the uh, the speeder. During the riot, a crate of C twenty five fragmentation grenades gets detonated, and this is actually like a prop from Rogue One. And usually, Death Troopers are carrying them. Oh, on the like belt trooper, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, sick. When Deidre and Cyril are being super awkward virgins together. Uh, Deidre's <laughs> sidearm that uh, Cyril took was a Merson Power 5 blaster. There was some, I don't know if it was the scope or what, but there was something that looked like the DL that Han has usually. Yeah, this one looks really close. It mm-hmm. It's based on the same um, German gun, same pistol. Gotcha. I noticed this. We normally only heard B2 speak, and not really necessarily make droid noises, but in this episode, he made some droid beeps and boops, and they sounded, to me, identical to some BB-8 sound files. thought that was interesting, because we've really only heard him speak and with like a male voice and stutter. I don't remember there being a lot of droid beeps and boops until this episode, and when he did, they sounded like BB-8 a little bit. You have to wonder if droids, especially if they're fluent in over six million forms of communication, Mm-hmm. If they can just, like, like why couldn't C-3PO just speak to R2 in the same beep-boop yeah. language, you know? Yeah. Could be the same kind of thing with B2. Yeah. And also, they're droids. They could have, like, an internal translator type of thing. Right, right. Uh, moving on, Luthen's speeder looks, you know, not like Ray's speeder, but it's kind of that style of it just being, like, a flattened pill shape that just floats. Yeah, just like a, cool. a, a nacelle, like a, a big engine with a seat on it, kind of, right? Mm-hmm. Sam Alain, which is the first female stormtrooper in The Force Awakens, is back in modern stormtrooper armor with a hero shot where she's blasting some poor Ferrix folks. Yeah, she's been posting on Instagram recently a few different scenes that she was in a few times here and there. Mm-hmm. It's either Sam in the city or Sammy in the city is her Instagram handle, and... She's been kind of, as episodes have been coming out and posting screenshots where she's featured. Very cool. We met her at Celebration and talked to her for a little bit. Nice. First female stormtrooper ever. Pretty sick. All right, let's move on to I Love You, I Know. I love you. I know. Favorite scenes, favorite quotes, favorite moments. Let's hear from the patrons first. All right, heading into our patrons uh kevin doom says favorite scene for me was definitely the ending scene with luthan and cassian it was a perfect summation of the series so far in terms of character growth and how we got to this point when cassian said kill me or take me in and luthan gave that smirk it's almost like as lighthearted as you could get in this show where it's just like oh i know what that smirk means and and where that's heading um kale says their favorite scene was the last scene, the, the post credit scene, finally figuring out what Kino and the boys were making on Narcana 5. Yeah, that was, again, very heavy. Tony Gilroy might not do much fan service, but he delivered up a big old delicious scoop right there. Yeah. Uh, Chris Davis says the final lines of Marva's speech were his favorite. I'll tell you this, if I could do it again, I'd wake up early and I'd be fighting these bastards from the start. Fight the Empire. So good. The Empire. <laughs> allegedly is what that was supposed to say, but Disney wouldn't yeah. let it fly. Because it would have incited a riot. I would have went out <laughs> at 1 a.m. and found the Empire and fought them. <laughs> Patrick Merton's favorite part was uh, the end of Nemec's manifesto. The imperial need for control is so desperate because it is so unnatural. Tyranny requires constant effort. It breaks, it leaks. Authority is brittle. Oppression is the mask of fear. And remember that. Whew, so good. And wrapping up 
Ryan and Ethan both liked basically the same part, which is uh, the ending of Nemec's manifesto, which is one single thing will break the siege. Remember this. Try. All right, Mike, what was your favorite part or scene or thing? Um, I would say all in all, I'm going to save a lot of my thoughts for the overall what and or was for our discussion next week. But I think the, the interesting part about this show is that we know how eventually it ends. And so I think what made this part interesting is that we didn't really get the satisfaction of putting a bow on characters like Luthen or putting a bow on characters like, you know, Dedra. And I think that really gets me excited, knowing, of course, that they're filming season two as we speak, which also is sad because we won't see it for a while. Um, but I think really this just confirms that the Star Wars universe can be much larger than a hero's journey in its own way, because there are many people in this show who have played very important roles in the story of Rebellion that are not traditional heroes in the sense that we know them, and giving us the inner workings of, of more reflection on how our own world actually works, and seeing why it's important for people to be able to stand up and take action and know that there's going to be consequences on both sides of things. Uh, so this was a pretty damn satisfying conclusion to a show that most of us didn't really know much of what to expect. And it had us gripped every single week it came out. So I would say in terms of the, the part specifically that I loved was definitely the production of seeing a funeral different than mm. a royal funeral. Yeah. Seeing that people have their own traditions in every corner of the galaxy of how they do things. And just the the production of of seeing a band, a marching band, yeah. in in the way that they did it, that still felt very Ferrix. The the clothes, you know, it 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 really made you feel like they unfortunately have done this a lot. And especially the past couple of years. So I think just the tone of this and the production of this episode in particular, especially the marching band, is probably my favorite part. So yeah, it's gonna be a long time until season two, but all in all. I can't wait for next week. We can actually dissect it as yeah. a project. As you know? a whole, yeah. Yeah. Nick, how about you? Um, man. Honorable mention, chest kicks from Brasso and <laughs> the Time Grappler. <laughs> um, I mean, Marva's speech was literally had me as pumped as anything in Star Wars, really. In, in a different way, honestly. It's, that's that's a, the brilliance of this show is... Sometimes I'm forgetting that I'm watching Star Wars, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm stoked in new ways, which doesn't diminish my love for lightsabers and, and the Force and all that type of stuff. Uh, Marva's speech was excellent, though. Really uh, put a smart spin. I mentioned it a couple of episodes ago. The inspiration now at this part of the Rebellion forming is different inspiration than Luke jumping in an X-Wing and Han in the Falcon and you know Leia has more to do with this rebellion than Luke and Han do you know so I think it's brilliant like really I'm I've, I've been not that I've been waiting for the show to do something I don't like but it was along those lines of the a Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul where I am so in love and accepting of what's going on because it's so perfect that I don't have to think about it much afterwards and i think that that's ultimately the sign of like superior storytelling and a superior creation of a show in 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 every sense i mean i have not seen every tv show or movie that has ever won an award but this looks like it should win multiple awards for multiple things like yeah set design costume design lighting just the list could go on and on whether it wins or not, you know, I hope it gets at least the acknowledgement that it deserves. It's truly a masterpiece. Agreed in full. My favorite moment was Marva's farewell message. I felt the same as you. I was so amped and I, you know, I kind of stepped on it earlier talking about this. It just resonated on so many levels. It did feel connected to Star Wars in the sense that it's always been about rebellion in the story. And the amount of different places we've seen go through this kind of thing, mainly in the Clone Wars and Rebels series, further enhanced it. I know there are going to be plenty of people who've never seen any of the animation that, that feel strongly about this, but we've seen those little pockets of rebellion and that world-broadening 
storytelling that lets us know just how bad it was for so many different people in so many different places that when this happened, I was like, Fuck yeah, here we go. Another one, you know, another one insert DJ Khaled, <laughs> you know, I was just amped and sad, angry, motivated, all of it, all at once, like I said earlier. And then the real world implications, like I said earlier as well, brought me to tears, man. Angry fist clenched. Yeah. Tears. So that gets the medal for me. Cool. Loose ends, just to wrap up, mm-hmm. because we're at the end of this season. There are a handful of things that we'll probably talk about next week in depth. So I'll just kind of list them off here. Cassian's sister, he was told to kind of let it go. There's no way she survived, blah, blah, blah. It just, it doesn't seem like that's tied up tightly enough for a writer at Tony Gilroy's level. Yeah. Saw Guerrera. Not much came of that, just the connection. So we're obviously going to see more of him next season. Kino, Kino Loy, we didn't see him die. He, he can't swim. Mm-hmm. He didn't jump because he can't swim. But who was left alive in there? That closet full of Imperials? I don't know. We'll talk about that next week. Mm-hmm. And the Imperials still don't know who Axis is. They don't know that it's Luthen. So there's quite a bit left. And this is, this is a short list. There's, there's got to be more, which, which we'll probably touch on next week. So we'll get into, probably get into some, some theorizing, which we don't officially do on paper. But there's a lot to look forward to. I'm pumped. Mike, where can we find you on social media? You can find me on Armor Party Show, part of the Thank the Maker Network, which is coming back very soon here. We just took a brief break for Thanksgiving, and we've got some great episodes coming up. And uh, we're kicking off the Ornament Project which is uh, I've got about 40 different ornaments from various artists across the galaxy that are sending stuff in. And it's going to be an incredible project. So make sure you follow that over at Hondo Supply. We've got a lot of friends that have been on the podcast that are contributing to this. And we're going to raise some money, do some good. We're unfortunately not going to beat anybody with bricks, but we are going to (laughs) fight for what we believe in, which is taking care of each other on this planet. So you can follow along with Hondo Supply over at Instagram. And, uh, And yeah, we're on we're on Hive now. So hey. on the supply on Hive and let's try this out. Lit. All right, Nick, how about you? I'm everywhere on the socials at Nick Bayside, including Hive, which might be a thing in the near future. Right now it's acting as basically one giant Star Wars group chat, which is amazing. And if I could plug just about everything else in my life that has a sale right now during the holidays, uh, my children's book called That's Okay is on sale at hecreative.com. Uh, me and Chris from Bayside's coffee company called Legal Speed has a huge sale. Almost everything is 50% off uh, at legalspeed.coffee. And speaking of Bayside, we have a holiday sale and new items and a new EP out. So please support your boy and the many, many things I do. My band, Story of the Year, just dropped a new single today at the time of this recording, Wednesday. Ooh. It is called Take the Ride, and it's my it's in my top two or three on the whole album. Mm. It's a good um, kind of throwback vibe for us. It feels very Page Avenue, but updated. I am on social media at Adam the Skull, including Hive. This podcast is now on Hive at Thank the Maker. Shout out to Sky's the Limit, patron, friend of the podcast, for locking down that screen name because it was um, dicey for a minute because <laughs> the, their servers have been bombarded with people migrating there from Twitter. So I couldn't even set up an account for a full day and finally went in Discord and saw that he had locked it down for us. So excellent. thank you so much, Chris. Sky's the limit. We are at Thank the Maker Pod on Instagram and TikTok. Patreon.com slash Thank the Maker Pod is where you can go if you want to support this podcast. It's really, truly the only way this works. We don't sell a ton of merch. It's patrons that keep this thing afloat. But if you do want to buy merch, ThankTheMakerMerch.com is where you can go to do that. You'll also find Mosh Isley merch there. And we are working on some stuff, speaking of. So subscribe to this podcast, press the button, follow us on social media, press those buttons, and you'll get updates on all things Mosh Isley, Thank the Maker, Armor Party, Princess and Scoundrel. Do it. Please do it. (laughs) D-E-W-I-T. All right, Mike, send us home with the quote of the week. Okay, so the quote of the week for the finale of Andor season one. The man who sees everything is more blessed than cursed. Pa Clem. 
Paul Clem. Paul Paul. Paul Clem. <laughs> There's a beautiful part of that quote because traditionally we've seen it almost the opposite right. of Thanos mm -hmm. saying, you know, you have the curse of knowledge telling Tony Stark that, that you have the ability to know what you have to do. And Papa Clem is almost kind of giving him the opportunity to say, I took it as this quote is like, there are things worth fighting for. And you see all of these things, you see all these things that are are worth not just keeping to yourself, that there is a the ability to be able to go out and explore, meet people, find a life that's worth living and worth protecting too. That's mm -hmm. kind of the way that that I saw it, especially given where Cassian's life is about to go. So I think it's a beautiful quote. And knowledge is power. Yeah. That's right. I hope we get more of it, honestly, season two. And it's also like, to me, something about, there was something Matrix-y about it, not in yeah. like what it said, but kind of what it meant and like ignorance is bliss and, right, you yeah. know, eating the steak that, you know, isn't real, you know, like that sort of thing. It's like, because sometimes I struggle with like, I'll say dumb dumb shit like i wish i knew less because i'd be happier you know it's like <laughs> i don't want to be plugged into the matrix ultimately you know right i might right. be but it, it's more it's more that idea of like well sometimes my problem with the world is that i see what's happening and right. then i walk down the street and no one knows what's going on you know and it's like well who's happier i don't know because right. seeing how the world is does not make me happy but the the yin and the yang of it all is that like ultimately I do find things in life that make me way happier than most people because I appreciate things and I guess I I see the dark and I appreciate the light. Well, and especially the tone of, you know, a, a funeral that this episode is, you know, kind of using as a kickoff. We probably all know people who have passed away in our lives that we miss dearly. And I always kind of take that with me whenever something like that happens as I say, for me to be able to miss them this deeply means that they affected me enough in my own life mm -hmm. that I see things differently because of who they were and that yeah. I kind of always take them with me. And yeah. so I think Cassian's story of looking for, you know, kind of having the regret of not being there for his mom because of his where his trajectory is and seeing that the last message that she chose to give to the people of Ferrix was like, don't mourn me stick it to them for me because yeah. I would if I was here, you yeah. know, and yeah. I kind of, I love that, you know, so I think um, the man who sees everything is more blessed than cursed, again, kind of just shows off like there are things worth fighting for. I rebel. I rebel. Listeners, thanks for listening. Patrons, thanks for being patrons. Dudes, thanks for hanging. And until next week, may the force be with you. Mm.